The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Social Selling with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. I am. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place. What an exciting topic. have to tell you, this is week two of our brand new series. I call it Social Selling 101. you got to listen up. This is important wherever you are in the selling industry, in the selling profession, or if you know somebody who's in sales, they need to know this stuff. So the buzz on the street today and the buzz all over the place is who are you? I'm not going to sing it. Don't worry. I know the music from one of the CIS shows or whatever it is, NCSI, but here we go. To succeed in sales, what does it take today? Well, you have to be authentic. People don't want phony baloney. You have to be relevant. Talk to what their needs are. And you have to add value to your interactions with your customers and your prospects. And maybe I should reverse that. Your prospects who then you want to become your customers. Well, the premise of using social platforms to sell is basically the same is everything that I gave you just now. Sales is sales. However, however, and here's the big caveat, the stakes are much higher when you're using social selling. How, you ask? Well, here it is, the bottom line, and it's real. You, your social brand, and every interaction you have with anyone socially are viewable by anyone, anywhere, 24-7, 365, and basically forever. It's that simple and it's that complex. So you're probably wondering, what should my brand be? What is a good brand? How can I build a brand that I want to stick, that I want people to find? And how does your brand, whatever you build, how does it impact what others think about you? And how do they think about whatever you're selling? Are you selling solutions? Are you selling services, products, whatever it is? How will they think about what you're wanting them to buy based on who you are? Well, we have a panel of three experts who are ready to dive headlong into this very interesting topic. First, I have a shout-out to Kirsten Boylo at SAP, who's the sponsor of this exciting new series. I know she's listening and tweeting already. You can join her at hashtag SAP Radio. Now I'm ready to introduce my guests. First up, we're welcoming Mario Martinez, Jr., RVP of Sales for ECS West Area at PGI. That's the company PGI. And Mario has sent me a quote from Grace Hopper. Those of you scratching your heads know she's not Grace Jones and she's not the actor Edward Hopper's wife. She is a pioneering computer scientist whose work was central to the development of COBOL. I was a COBOL programmer back in the 70s. I know many of you weren't even born then. It's one of the foundational programming languages. Salute to Grace Hopper. And here's the quote. The most dangerous phrase in the language is... 
we've always done it this way. Great quote. Mario Martinez, Jr., welcome. How are you, Mario? Uh, thank you so much, Bonnie. I'm doing great. What, a, what an exciting topic, and I'm so happy to have you here. Now, you look to me from your picture. We've met briefly on a prep call. You're very young. How did you even know to find a quote from Grace Hopper? How did Grace Hopper get here? Talk to me about the quote and the topic today, Mario. Well, I probably can't tell you how Grace Hopper got there outside of the fact that uh, many other mentors in my life have uh, demonstrated and used that particular quote, and it resonated perfectly, especially with the last two years and how sales is changing. And I absolutely just love that quote in terms of just really looking at an organization, looking at what you do, and looking at ways of how you can change. And if you, if you don't want to change, well, then you're going to have some consequences with the changing technology and the changing evolution, especially with different folks entering into our workforce. So... I've just loved it. We've always done it this way. It drives me bananas. It drives me crazy when I hear that. And I'm all about change. So that's why I picked it. Now, Mario, let's apply this, if you will, for just a minute. Let's apply this to our topic of social selling. And let's say somebody says, well, I've always used some particular kind of language in all of my social interactions, meaning on Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter and Instagram and Pinterest and everywhere. And this is my brand and this is who I am. Well, now I'm entering a career in sales and I've always done it this way. It's going to have to be my authentic me. Should they be looking at perhaps a change if they enter the world of professional selling on social platforms? Mario, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think myself and all the experts here on the panel are going to tell you that this um, sales is changing day over day, month over month, and in the next few years, it'll be it'll look completely and drastically different. And in fact, uh, this past weekend, I was speaking with a, a couple hundred sales folks, and that was one of the messages I delivered: is, is you know the way we did business. 10, 15, 20 years ago, it is absolutely not the same way people are doing business today, especially with the introduction of the millennial, organi- uh, uh, the millennial generation excuse me, entering into mm-hmm. the workforce. Okay, so it's time for everybody to think we've always done it this way. Not so much anymore. Thank you, Mario. Welcome. And we're kicking off to a good start here. Let's welcome our second panelist, also a newbie to Game Changers Radio. His name is Jamie Shanks. He is the CEO of Sales for Life, which I've been told is the world's largest social selling training program for mid-market and enterprise companies. And we have a Jamie Shanks original quote. Aha. He says, always do today what we teach and innovate tomorrow's path to be taught. Very interesting. Jamie Shanks, how are you? Greatly appreciate you having me. Well, we greatly appreciate your agreeing to be on the show, and a shout-out to Kirsten for inviting you. So you do this for a living. You train people in social selling. Why don't you unravel your quote for me? It sounds like something that should be up on a big wall somewhere. Always do today what we teach and innovate tomorrow's path to be taught. How does that relate to social selling? Well, the first component is... In the training industry, unfortunately, there are many, they always, the kind of the adage is that some of the worst sales departments are, are, inter, are internally within sales training companies because they don't eat their own dog food. And so the important piece is all that we do, all of our curriculum, everything that we teach is actually based in the microcosm of our business. So we're 12 employees, and what we do is we learn and we experiment and we test all the best practices from all of our customers around the world, and we dispense that wisdom into larger enterprise organizations and teach how, to, how it could scale. So for the first part, just eat your own dog food. Do as you say you do. That's the first part. The second part is we're constantly crowdsourcing ideas and experimenting. Our job is to innovate because in, um, large mid-market enterprise companies, 
are like moving a Titanic. They can only shift five degrees a year, where we can do a complete 180 in a year. So what we do is we experiment, and then we identify market gaps, new ideas, new best practices that we can deploy in a large enterprise that, frankly, they just would never have known these opportunities existed because they just can't capture that kind of data and insights quickly. So that's all that a quote means. Thank you, Jamie. And I have a question for you. Are big enterprises afraid of social as far as a selling tool goes? Are they? Is this going back to Mario's quote? We've always done it this way, and we could flip that. We've never done it this way. Why should we start now? Is there a fear factor? There would be a fear factor. One is an, an industry fear factor, and one is an executive fear factor. It, from an industry standpoint, the early innovators to this are the technology companies. So they've overcome the hurdle that social is no longer a distraction and a deterrent, but it can be an opportunity. So from a tech company standpoint, they've embraced it. But industries such as the healthcare industry or the finance industry, because of HIPAA compliance or FINRA compliance, they're a little bit nervous to allow a microbrand, an individual in their organization, to speak on behalf of the organization itself. So that's a bit of a fear factor. And then it all comes down to executive buy-in. I mean, when we roll out training programs, no question, the very first thing that the company has to overcome is alignment between sales, marketing, and enablement, and the executive team actually has to believe in this, because if they don't, you're dead before you've even started, because ultimately, six months later, the executives, you know, the the wind will blow through the office, and they'll change direction, and they say, scrap Mm -hmm. this social selling thing, doesn't make any sense, because they didn't believe in it. So those are the main two fear drivers. Thank you very much, Jamie. And I love the term you just dropped on us, micro-brand. Let's revisit that later in the show. Very important. That may be exactly what we're talking about. How does your brand, any one particular person in sales, how does their brand impact what they do in the social platforms? Thank you. And now I'm ready to welcome our third panelist, no stranger to Game Changers Radio or to radio at all. It's Nick Robinson, Digital Strategy Lead for SAP North America. And Nick has quoted... Jill Rowley, who has been on a few of our shows on other Game Changers series. Jill is a social selling evangelist, uh, modern marketing expert. There's a term we might want to talk about, modern marketing, a change agent. And uh, let's see, her ABCs of selling from Jill Rowley are always be connecting and curating content. That aside, here is the quote. The modern consumer is digitally driven, socially connected, and mobile empowered. Sales reps need to adapt or be replaced. Wow, the handwriting's on the wall. Jill takes no prisoners. How are you, Nick Robinson? How are you, Bonnie? Thank you so much for having me back on the show. I always have a ton of fun, and I have no doubt that we will have some fun today. We already are, my friend. So talk to me. You picked an interesting quote from Jill. I love the second part. Sales reps need to adapt or be replaced. That's like, okay, you know what, or get off the pot, right? So tell me, how, how bad is yep. it from your viewpoint out there, Nick? Is, is she right? So, uh, you know, I can, I can look at this from a, a perspective of my own company. I think um, enterprise companies, have they still have little pockets of innovations. Uh, there, there are certain groups that have adopted it um, faster than others. So, for example, Inside Sales has fully adopted it, in, at least in our organization, and we're actually able to attribute um, quota attainment and revenue attainment um, for people that, that uh, have adopted social selling versus groups that haven't. So we're taking some of that data, taking it to the executive 
so we talked a little bit about the executives before. Now, they can believe in it, but they can really believe in it if they have the numbers to back up why they're investing in a program like that. So having numbers like that uh, really excites me because in a company like this, um, executives have to make trade-offs in what programs they invest in and what they don't invest in. And so having those numbers is really powerful. And that's uh, what I spend a lot of my day on and is justifying programs that we run because um, as a digital marketing lead in North America, 60% of my time is, is teaching our own marketing teams plus the sales teams and how to use uh, digital selling tactics, so social selling being a big one, and we need to justify why we're running these programs. So I'm glad we're talking about this subject today because I think the broader market needs to know more about it because it's not going away. It's, it's not going away, and that echoes what I mentioned in the opening, Nick, that what you are, who you are in social selling never goes away. Is there any illusion out there, Nick Robinson? Any Is anybody still under the belief that you can wipe out a tweet or you can wipe out anything you did on any social so any social platform, not just social selling, that it will go away or disappear. You can pay somebody to make it go bye-bye, that it's not really <laughs> indelible. Is I, I hear it on the radio all the time. Are you unhappy with yeah. your social brand? Pay us $50,000 and we'll make sure all of your bad pictures on Facebook and Pinterest go away and you can have a clean t- – really? Nick, is this a true or what, what so some funny. of us call a Bubba Misa? What do you think? You know, it almost reminds me of the SEO industry. and You know, there are still some firms that – or reputation management, quote-unquote, firms. Um, so you'd pay them to get search results, address search results pushed down by building links and, and other sort of black hat methods. And social, you know, I don't know if I get those questions per se, um, but what I do get is uh, actually as of yesterday, I was talking to a, a salesperson, and they're saying, okay, so if I send a tweet, and this is the first question he asked me, which was actually the wrong question to ask. He said, okay, if I send a tweet, how many of my prospects are going to see it? And he, he immediately thought that it was like a reliable reach method of getting a message blasted in front of his prospects. And that's immediately what people think of when they think of social selling is just blasting a message to their Twitter followers and everyone's going to see it. He, did, he had no... Uh, he had no concept of what an algorithm is uh, in, in a LinkedIn feed, and he had no concept of one to two percent of your audience seeing your message when you when you tweet it out. And then, of course, he he asked the wrong question because he he didn't ask about some of the listening insights that he can get, and he didn't ask about how he can um, establish himself as a trusted advisor by engaging and and answering questions based on what people are already asking on, on the platform. Interesting. Thank you very much, Nick, for, for rounding out our introduction. Now, I'm going to ask my three panelists for something that will be there forever once you answer, so think very clearly. Nick knows what's coming next. It's called What's in Your Cup Today. This is our little storytelling segment. I prepared all three of you, but not for the fact that whatever you say will be there forever because somebody might tweet about it, so I'm, I'm teasing you. Mario Martinez, Jr., what time of day is it? Where are you calling from? What's in your cup right now, or what are you thinking about drinking after the show? Mario, remember, whatever you say, everybody will identify with your brand forever. 
<laughs> I had to what say, I say that. Right? I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mario. <laughs> well, Bonnie, I'm in the Central Time Zone at our PGI Studios office. It's 9.16 a.m. here, Central Standard Time. And uh, normally I would be drinking water, but <clears throat> over the last two days we had our sales kickoff here in Austin, and uh, I ate far, far too much food. Uh, and so I decided today that I was going to juice. And so I'm drinking a smoothie. But that actually really isn't all that exciting. I, my, my story is, is, when I thought about this, I thought, well, geez, I have probably one of the greatest stories in the whole wide world of actually how I met my wife and, and how I actually really uh, started to really love her a lot more when I was uh, meet, just getting to know her. And one day we were uh, out and about, and I asked her if she wanted some tea. And she's like, yeah, I really would like some tea. And I said, well, what would you like? And she said, um, and by the way, my wife, she's amazingly beautiful, amazingly smart, double bachelor's, magnum cum laude. I mean, just a brilliant woman, accounting background, nursing background, everything in between. And so she looked at me and said, I'd like some tea. And I said, well, what do you want? And she said, um, I'll take some chamoli tea. And I said, chamoli? What's chamoli tea? She says, chamoli, chamoli tea. Everybody knows what chamoli tea is. And I looked at her and I said, do you mean chamomile tea? <laughs> <laughs> and so, so she looked at me. She turned a couple of shades of red. But at I looked least. at her and I said, this is exactly the reason why I'm going to marry you. I, that was just oh. the cutest thing in the whole world. Uh, oh, nonetheless, Mario. afterwards, I, I, I asked her to marry me. So, any case, so that that was my that's my what am I drinking today? What's in my cup? Uh, and oh. uh, that was one of the my, my, my personal stories as to uh, how I got to love my wife more. Well, if that does anything, if that doesn't make your personal brand on social selling go through the roof with love and happiness and pride and oh my goodness! Well, what's your wife's name? Why don't we do a shout out to her? My wife's name is Shauna. Shauna, if you're listening, I think she is. Love you, babe. Shauna, we all love you. I think we all want to marry you after that story. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was lovely, Shauna. Well, I can't possibly ask Jamie and Nick to top that. So just tell us a little bit about uh, Jamie. Let's go through the drill. Where are you? What time of day? What are you drinking right now? Or what are you thinking about drinking after the show? Jamie Shanks. Yeah, there, there is no way I can top that. I'm in oh. the Great White North. I'm in the Great White North in Toronto, Canada, which is on Eastern Standard Time Zone. So we're at uh, 10, 19 a.m., mm-hmm. and, of course, I'm drinking water. But what am I thinking about drinking? I've already had a busy, long week. I know it's only Tuesday. So um, my story is every night I drink Shiraz, especially Penfold Shiraz. So when I was in my mid-20s, I did my master's degree in Adelaide, Australia. I lived in Adelaide, And I grew up a country boy. I wasn't privy to the finest wines in the world. And in fact, I really didn't even drink wine until I moved to Adelaide. But anybody that's ever been to Adelaide, Australia, is the home of all Australian wines, or any good Australian wine. So I'm playing rugby for the University of Adelaide, and our team is sponsored by Penfolds. So after every game, uh, the routine is where the teams get together and they do drinking songs, and they always have lamb on the barbie. Every rugby team in Australia cooks lamb on the barbie, and the Penfolds Shiraz goes flowing. And I grew to become a huge Shiraz fan over the two years I was there because I was drinking it every Saturday afternoon on the rugby pitch. So that's what I'm thinking about drinking. I love that, and I looked it up. I warned you, I love to Google things on the fly here. Penfolds 
Kunanga Hill Shiraz 2009 is all over the web. They talk about it's the, it made in 1976 and gained a reputation for outstanding value. It's all over everywhere. It even was a wine of the week on the ReviewJournal.com Wine Week in November 13, 2013. There you go. Very interesting. Thank you for introducing us to that, Jamie. I think we'll all go get a glass of that, and we'll toast to Shauna after the show with your <laughs> pinfold Shiraz. I think we got a party going here nick robinson join us where are you what time and what's in your cup it's uh so i'm in the same time zone as jamie it's uh eastern time zone 10 20 i'm in newtown square pennsylvania mm-hmm. and uh so i might give mario a run for his money i'm getting married on saturday oh. and the, so my my wife to be is a sweetheart and <clears throat> the week Running up to the wedding, she's given me a chai tea package that I would make for myself every day in the morning. So I'm actually drinking a tea that she gave me as a, it's like a, uh, every day I will drink this tea leading up to the wedding. And um, it's just to help me cleanse my body and look wonderful for the wedding. And uh, so every time I drink the tea, I just think of how beautiful she's going to look at the wedding and it's going to be wonderful. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's probably the best story I can tell you, but. Well, it is the best story. It's a lovely story. And would you like to do a shout out to your beautiful bride to be Nick? I would love to Katie, future Katie Robinson. I love you. I love you so much. And I can't wait to marry you on Saturday. Oh, I don't know if okay, I can. Okay, that tops me, Bonnie. <laughs> Kirsten, I don't think I can do the show anymore. I've got tears uh, between the shout-outs. Lover's Lane. Uh, oh, I'm my goodness. I teared up on that, Nick. Jeez, come on now. <laughs> we we all did, and Jamie's thinking about rugby, and Mario's thinking about t- Tamoli tea, and Nick's getting married in a couple of days. Yeah. Wow. Well, congratulations, Nick. I hope the wedding is everything you and Katie dreamed of, and I hope all of your wonderful dreams come true and may there be plenty of wonderful tea in your future. Wow, now we do have to get back to business here, but you know what? I have to take a break. Okay, I was planning on it anyway, but now I really have to take a break and wipe these tears of joy out of my eyes. So we are talking today. This is episode number two of our new series called Social Selling with Game Changers. And everything about that rings true. If you're social selling, you are a game changer, but are you doing it right? And today our topic is how your brand impacts social selling. I'm speaking with Mario Martinez Jr. at PGI, Jamie Shanks at Sales for Life, and Nick Robinson at SAP. And we're going to do a deep dive when we come back for the roundtable, a deep dive into what makes a good brand today in social. How can each of you who are in sales, and even if you're not, develop your own unique brand that you're happy with, that you can stick with for the long term? And how does your brand convey it on social platforms? How does it impact what people think about what you're selling? What is that relationship? Is it a dotted line? Is it a bam, one on top? of the other. Well, I don't like his brand, so I don't like his products. We need to help you unravel that. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, if you haven't guessed that by now, and you're listening to us on the Business Channel at World Talk Radio, aka VoiceAmerica.com. We're going to take a quick break. So, Justin, don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. Justin, out. When it 
comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Social media is taking sales organizations by storm, and only those who adapt quickly into the new digital world will be around in the future. Social selling is a new tool that has implications to all lines of business, from building the fundamentals in the sales process and getting the content marketing mix right, to building cross-functional teams and building the systems to truly measure the impact of social. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how social selling is changing the world of business. Social Selling with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Social Selling with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to social selling with Game Changers. And we certainly are talking about social selling with Game Changers with Mario Martinez Jr. at PGI, Jamie Shanks at Sales for Life, and Nick Robinson at SAP. And we're talking about how your brand impacts social selling. So let's get down to basics here. Mario Martinez Jr., let's talk about what's really going on in the world of selling today. And you told me before the show you made a statement, five little words that pack a wallop. You say the cold call is dead. And you told me the latest statistics shows that only 2.5%, that's right, only 2.5% of cold calls actually achieve or get to a live person. So why are companies measuring their rep success on making cold calls? And you have an opinion about that. So Mario Martinez, why don't you launch us into the roundtable and let's get started. Yeah, thanks, Bonnie, so much. Yeah, I mean, I actually have written a couple blogs about this as well. Um, I, I I do not advocate that the cold call is dead. Um, some of my peers do. Some other folks uh, actually do advocate that. But I, I stand in in uh, almost opposite, but kind of in the middle. Uh, my personal opinion: it's not dead, but it is dying. Uh, and so the question then becomes: is, is how can you make an effective cold call? How can you turn that cold call into an actual, what I would call, a warm call or a lukewarm call? Uh, and how do you turn that to being able to get from a 2.5% response rate out of 100 calls to actually getting a 20 to 30 to 50% response rate? And so that's wow. where I look at, at this, this concept of cold calling. It's really about um, equipping sales organizations need to equip their sales reps to be able to make an effective call, and that is uh, giving them the tools to be able to research their buyers, understand their needs, understand their desires, their passions, their concerns, their issues, any questions that they may have published on social media in a B2B world, primarily LinkedIn and Twitter, and in some cases Facebook, in a B2C world, it's a whole plethora of social media uh, uh, sites. So how do you make that cold call turn into more of a lukewarm call instead of that cold call? It's, it's really equipping them to be able to understand that, that buyer. And, and I don't think uh, as well, I mean, I think our organization should measure the cold call, but I think there's an effective spot for that. If you're a technology-based organization or any, base, any organization, you can't have a hundred percent of your demand gen uh, relying upon your field sales folks. Those field sales folks are there for a reason. They're there to strategically move along business. <clears throat> Excuse mm -hmm. me. 
to strategically move along business, not to be sitting there pumping the phone lines for you know ninety uh, percent uh, of their time, day in day out, uh, trying to uh, create demand and doing these types of calls. And it's you've got to bring in those SDR groups. You've got to bring in the organizations that are going to take this time to make an educated call, to make a lukewarm call, to ask for warm introductions uh, to people that you're trying to get to. And I also believe, you know, when we talk about this concept of cold call, I've always asked a lot of my peers, all right, if it's dead, then what is it? Everybody says, well, social selling. Well, have you enabled a social selling program? Well, yeah, we got LinkedIn. Well, I mean, oh, really? I mean, that's, that, that's not enough. And, and, and if you look at what a sales organization needs, I, I think there's four different things that you've got to be looking at. You've got to maintain your traditional email blasting. You've got to maintain some social selling. You've got to be able to leverage demand gen through social media, and you've got to be able to leverage cold calling. That's my personal opinion, and I'm sticking to it, Bonnie. I think you are. And by the way, I have to mention you are a, you're not only a motivational speaker, but you have what's called a LinkedIn Social Selling Index, SSI. Your score is 99 out of 100. Just briefly, what does that mean, Mario? Uh, well, uh, the SSI score is what, how LinkedIn measures how well and how effective you're doing as a social seller. Uh, so it's LinkedIn mm-hmm. score, um, and the highest score you can get is 100 out of 100. I don't even know if anybody has 100 in the world. If they do, I'm striving to be that. But, uh, you know, 99 out of 100 represents literally 0.3% of all the millions of, uh, hundreds of millions of users that are out there on LinkedIn. So pretty excited to have gotten that score, uh, and uh, I, that's, that's kind of been my, uh, my claim to fame there on LinkedIn. And that's part of your social brand. So there, that's what we're talking about today. Jamie Shank, Sales for Life. Agree or disagree with Mario? What do you think? Cold call. What what sense of what state of rigor mortis is it or is it not in? Let's go there. I think that Mario was making fantastic points. And in fact, I'm in one of our training um, breakout rooms right now. And I'm staring at our SDRs. And the difference, this is the main difference. Traditional SDRs are picking up the phone and just calling. Just, just making calls because they came in as an inbound lead. The, the model that I believe in is exactly what Mario was talking about, was a hybrid of a, a variety of things. And a fantastic book is called The Sales Acceleration Formula, written by Mark Roberts, who is the Chief Revenue Officer at HubSpot. And let's take a page out of what they do. HubSpot clearly knows what they're doing. Let's take a page out of what they do. And I'm looking at our SDR team, and we do the same thing. What it is is the most important thing about the buyer is their buying journey. And for us, we use the content consumption story as the litmus to understanding their buying journey. So for us, here's what I'm looking at. Our SDR team, when they're on the phone, is contextualizing the information that that buyer has downloaded, eBooks and webinars, and then they're suggesting other curriculum or content or ideas based on their download preferences. Imagine it's like Apple iTunes. You downloaded X, you haven't read why, I recommend you read it to better arm yourself uh, with informed deci- to be able to make an informed decision. It's like helping them through due diligence. So the summary is, I completely agree with Mario. You can't get rid of the phone, but you can get rid of the cold in cold call because I can have contextual mm-hmm. conversations based on your buying interest. I like that. Thank you very much. Yeah, the, the cold call doesn't need to, as Mara said, it can be lukewarm. As you said, Jamie, if you know to whom you're speaking, why you're speaking to them and what's relevant to them. And that's what I said in the beginning, authenticity, relevance. It's always been the same in sales. Now you have to take those qualifications and those values and put them into social selling. Good points. Nick Robinson, join the party here. What do you think? Cold calling. Yeah, I mean, the, the modern consumer is operating in multiple channels. It, they're 
And it's very nonlinear. We all know this. You've probably read multiple studies on this. Um, CSO Insights found that when combining email, phone calls, and LinkedIn emails, the response rate was 10% greater. So there's a reason why you can't just cut off cold calling. You can't just cut off emailing. But if you combine all three in a multi-touch approach, then you're, the greater likelihood of reaching somebody will be in your favor. And so we have to, like Mario said, we have to design multi-touch programs that will incorporate social selling, um, calling and cold calling, insight-driven calling like, um, you know, like what was said before. And then I think it's also about arming um, the account team. So we're talking about sales development reps, but it's also we can arm the account executives, the field reps, with more insights at, at the ready. So I'll give you a really good example. We run a, an account-based marketing program, and one of the, the menu items that marketing offers to the sales teams is a dashboard. And uh, a big piece of that dashboard is, is web insights. So what are accounts doing on our websites? What pages are they, are they visiting? Is that indicative of the type of conversations we're having, or is it predictive of what we might be able to talk to them about? And then, of course, there's social. So are executives moving up in the organization? Are they leaving and going to other organizations? So um, I think it depends on, the, obviously, the, the role in the organization. So sales development reps will need different tools and techniques, and then account teams will um, really benefit from some of the listening and the insights, which will in turn help them build their brand because they're going mm-hmm. to come to the table with answers to pressing business challenges. So that's my answer. Interesting. Mario, I'm going to dial this back to you. We've had some interesting input on your point from Jamie and Nick. What do you think? Yeah, I, I agree with both my, my colleagues here. You know, one of the points that I was going to mention that uh, I forget who was, one of, the, one of the two, Nick or Jamie, said, but it triggered uh, a thought, and there were two things. One, um, uh, here at this past weekend, we had our sales kickoff coming out of the new, uh, this year and going into the new year, and we had some customers on the show. We also recently did, if you look at my profile, there was a, um, a, a webcast that I did on getting into the mind of the IT buyer, and they said, all the customers said something very, very unique and specific. They said, look, I don't respond to cold outreach uh, except when I'm looking for something. And I'll take a cold email, I'll take a cold call, and I'll book the appointment. And it, but the stars have to be aligned, right? I'm, I'm looking for some inf- piece of information. The question then you have to ask yourself is, 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 can you do early detection? Can you figure out a way to be able to, to detect early on or in the process as they begin their phase of research? And they say that 60% of the research is done on your company or product or the solutions that they're looking for prior to them even talking to a salesperson, that is a buyer that is. So can you figure that early detection mode out uh, and get that information and make an educated cold call? And I think those are some, some real-life circumstances there. The other thing I would probably say is recently I got a cold call from somebody who was a first-degree connection in my own network. And the, the sales rep who called me said, in fact, there's a video I published about this. He said, hey, I'm giving you a call. Uh, I wanted to check and see how we can help you increase your sales or increase demand. And I said, okay. Uh, and it was just such a generic question that I immediately knew it was a cold call. And he says, well, the other thing, the reason why I'm calling is because someone downloaded a piece of our software um, uh, uh, you know, and, and trialed it. And I'd like to find out what you thought about the experience. And I thought, well, who was it? 
and the person didn't know. I yeah. said, well, how long ago was it? 187 days ago. And I oh, said, my God. did you look at my profile before you even called me? And he said, oh. well, I know you're the VP of sales. And I said, and, and, he go, and, I said, and you said you're a first-degree connection? He said, yeah. I said, listen, man, I'm going to give you a redo. Hang up the phone. You look at my profile. Figure out what's of interest to me and call me back when you've gotten and you've done your homework. And he was actually offended by that, right? But, but the point is, is that those are opportunities that are sales folks in the industry. When you place that cold call, don't make it a freaking cold call. Come on now. You've got to yeah. take the time to be able to, take that, to, to, do, to make that at least a warm introduction call. Wow, that's a great example. Jamie or Nick, any other examples you have? Anything you've been involved in or heard about? Any uh, rumors of similar gaffes, we'll call it, or, or whoops, no-nos? Jamie, Nick, anything before I move on? I mean, I, as a CEO of a business, as we grow, I get more and more and more of these solicitations. The, mm-hmm. the, I mean, forget the, the call one. The one that irks me the most is where they've clearly used their marketing automation platform and they didn't change. It literally says insert name or like your name at the top because the the you know Acton or Marketo or what it didn't it didn't read and register my name, or they had the spelling of my name wrong where it says James, like my birth name is James, but nobody calls me James. So uh-huh. I know immediately it came directly from marketing automation. So. Well, I love it when I get emails addressed to De- Graham, dear Graham. Or dear Mr. Graham, it's like, okay, what part of the rest of my name didn't you get? You, you know, some email systems, we all know this, some email systems put last name first. And so people yeah. just pick that up. They don't know which one, which came first, the Bonnie or the Graham. And uh, there are men named Graham. So they just figured, dear Graham, and that's it. And I'm done. I'm cooked. Thank you all. Jamie, I'm looking at your notes here and it's so much good information you sent. Uh, we could start in various places, but what I really want to make sure we end up with at this part of the roundtable is talking about about how do you develop a great brand. We've been talking about being contextual and being prepared and taking the cold out of the dying cold call and warming it up, making it relevant, making it personalized and knowing to whom you're speaking and why and what you want from them and not offending people as Mario just gave us that great first person example. So Jamie, I'll, I'll start with the John Chambers quote here in your notes, but you can take it anywhere you want to go. You say John Chambers, the CEO of Cisco, stated that 40% of all B2B businesses will be gone in 10 years because they didn't become digital. And let's start with that. How does the social selling personality, how is it going to rescue the brand, rather? How is it going to rescue these companies, or will it, Jamie? Well, I think that this is the mindset shift that every corporation around the world needs to go through before they become irrelevant. And it's, it's, it's really, really simple. Let's think of the distribution horsepower that your sales team has, and this is where companies are so mistaken. They'll say, you know, we, we have social accounts. Our marketing team is all over this. We are, mm-hmm. we are tweeting, and we are on LinkedIn. We're, we're creating webinars. But you have 1,000 sales professionals who each, on average, have 500 LinkedIn connections. Thus, there's 500,000 potentially unique buyers, champions, influencers, introductees that are also part of the, the ecosystem of your business. And the John Chambers quote, um, I think it was last year he said it at one of his sales kickoffs, but here's the main crux of it. In five years, right now it's 2015, in five years, your workforce is going to be 50% millennial, and within mm-hmm. 10 years it will be 75% millennial. So mm-hmm. executives who typically are in their 40s through 60s, 
need to come through uh, that mindset shift that the buyer today, like the you know VP of HR, VP of IT, whoever your buyer persona is, while they might not be the most socially savvy, the influencers that work under the chief information officer or the chief marketing officer are in their 20s and 30s, and they are the users of your solution. They are the ones accumulating information to help make informed decisions. When our business switched uh, from one marketing automation platform to HubSpot, it was the marketing team on our team made a unanimous decision, built a case, presented it to myself, and I said, go for it. I didn't do any of the research. They did. But again, as a millennial, that's how they gathered information. So if I was a commercial leader, and especially at a technology company, the, the, and for us, just so you understand the context, our business, 75% of every one of our customers is a technology business because they're the early mm-hmm. adopters. I would be dead nervous if my go-to-market strategy did not incorporate social because your entire industry, if you sell software, IT services, or telecom, you're right now all across the Valley, Austin, Texas, Chicago, New York, into Europe, London, Germany, France. I'm watching companies all around the world starting to leverage these insights. And, and um, Nick made a great point. The definition of social selling is three components, insights-based selling, trigger-based selling, and referral-based selling. But they're mechanized through tools like content and tools like LinkedIn. That's the difference. It's, those sales tactics have been around forever, but they become mechanized through technology that allows a sales prefer- professional to, again, share insights, triggers, and referrals. So that's the most important piece. John Chambers is right. Look out, because 10 years from now, there'll be companies that took the progression and those that don't. Hmm. Interesting. Jamie, before I bring Nick and Mario into this part of the conversation, I have a question for you. When we talk about your brand on social selling, does a company need to have strict guidelines on to what, as to what that brand can be, meaning do all of the soldiers have to fall in line under the, the marshal or the leader and say, okay, you work for company XYZ, your social brand has to be in line with our social brand, you have to include these buzzwords, you can only say this type of language, or, and I'm looking further at your notes, that sales professionals who have their own brand, they're like little mini micro channels of themselves and representatives of the company. Are we seeing a clash of the company? Companies, social brand, which can be very carefully crafted. And then independent salespeople are going off, well, I felt like saying this. I thought about saying that. Is there a, a collision or do they need to be in sync? What, what do you observe? Well, yeah. So, I mean, the reality is my business of 12 employees, I allow everybody to create omnipresence through their own channel. And it aligns to our, in our business, but it aligns to our common goal of digital selling and social selling. If I am one of our, I'll give you an example, one of our customers, Thomson Reuters, you have to imagine when they have 6,000 sales professionals, they have to follow certain social media guidelines and protocols. But when you create these, you have to think of the end goal. It's first getting people from analog to digital, get them mm-hmm. becoming part of the conversation, but then get them part of the conversation within your box, within your guidelines. Stage two is where then you can start experimenting because you've seen return on investment of getting people from analog to digital. But to jump a, a bank or a healthcare provider or an insurance company, uh, you need to, it's baby steps, absolute baby steps. But entrepreneurial businesses like mine, you need to throw anything at the wall 
and make sure it sticks. Thank, thank you. Nick Robinson, want to get you in on this. Thoughts? Agree with Jamie? Disagree? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I can definitely take, I, I can explain it from the, you know, the 74,000 plus point of view, uh, employee point of view, rather. So at SAP, there's uh, a couple things that we do. We'll never, ever be able to um, put the type of uh, guardrails like you just explained, Bonnie. Mm-hmm. You know, exact message here, this is what your profiles uh, should look like. Um, but what we can do is uh, we can govern to a certain degree through training, but we also have tools to monitor at a bird's-eye view um, and then uh, set up triggers within this monitoring system that can capture, it could be, um, it could be, updates from individual employees. It also monitors uh, keywords used on profiles that might be a red flag, but we won't necessarily go one by one and and, uh, police individual profile branding and what people are saying. But we do, I mean, there are tools and there's um, this governance uh, technology, Mm -hmm. uh, a governance technology industry that has popped up in the last five years that monitors um, I, you know, it started off monitoring corporate social accounts, but now with the, with the decentralization of social, it's now, it's now monitoring employee social accounts. So I, that's the governance side. And then, of course, training. Uh, training mm-hmm. and guidelines is so important. So yes. if people are trained correctly and they know what, you know what they should do and what would be off limits and then why it's important to do what they do, then... There really should be no problem, and governance won't be a huge investment like we'll, we'll think it will be because well, everyone will be trained from the beginning correctly. And then the most important piece is that ongoing communication with the field based on um, uh, customer and consumer behavior changes, so we have to change with consumers. And there's really nothing to worry about, in my opinion. Okay, Mario Martinez Jr., got to get you in on this. What do you think? Governance versus independence, the social brand of the company, of the organization, of the sales part of the organization versus independent, we'll call them mavericks, and we used to call them young Turks, an old phrase for people to go off and do their own thing. What do you think, Mario? Where, where's the line drawn as far as social overview of their salespeople's social brands? It's really great discussion. I, I will tell you, I've spoken to a lot of different Marcom folks and um, Stratcom <coughs> um, folks who are quite concerned about the impact of the company's brand based upon socially enabling a workforce. And uh, we'll probably you know, maybe have a chance to talk about this later, but I tend to think in the opposite direction, right? When you've got an organization as large as uh, an SAP, as an example, and I once worked for a Fortune 100 organization, or a, a medium-sized organization like a PGI with 2,300 employees, it is definitely a concern. I mean, you... But but mm-hmm. but I don't think it's any more greater of a concern than what the uh, thousands upon thousands of customers might be saying about you, right? And so that's mm-hmm. really where you know, as I talk to Marcom folks, it's like let's stop worrying about what your maybe 500 sales reps might say, or the 4,000 sales reps you may have, or even 10,000 sales reps. Let's worry about what the 1 million customers might be saying about you, and let's focus our energy there because that's the impact of of, of um, I'm sorry that particular group can have the greatest impact on your brand. And the other thing I think about here in this particular topic is don't be so scared of, of how somebody might wreck your brand because you can clean those things up, right? I mean, generally speaking, 
98% of most folks uh, who work for a company are not going to kill themselves and or kill the company's brand. So you have to just have a general trust, just like we trust all of our employees to basically have a laptop, have access to all of our systems and tools, and have access to back-end data. You have to have a level of trust. And so let's move beyond that and then to Nick's point, which is you add in, when, when you go out and train an organization, and we recently did that here at PGI with our sales organization, we put in place all the different training programs and materials and documentation and even banners so they can use on their LinkedIn profile. If you provide it, guess what? Most of those, most of those individuals are actually going to use that, and they're not going to go rogue, and they're not going to do something crazy. So, and I think it's also important, though, I mean, at the same time here at PGI, we also had a policy in, in place prior to the launch of our social selling program uh, that somebody couldn't use the actual name PGI in one of their, on, on their backdrops on a Twitter or LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And so as I took that back to our Stratcom team, we instantly, as soon as we saw that policy in place, well, we realized that was a five-year-old policy. And within a couple of days, boom, we changed that, worked with legal and everybody else to make that change. And so you've got to be very, very fast to be able to adapt and make changes, especially when you're in this world of social. I cannot agree with John Chambers and say that 40% of all B2B businesses will be gone in 10 years. Quite frankly, here's what I see happening with the millennial generation. As they hit around their late 20s and, 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 and 30, around that 30-year-old mark, most of them or many of them or some of them are having children. And they realize when they sit around a table at a restaurant and they see everybody else texting across from each other not communicating, that that's not what they want with for their children. And so therein lies the reintroduction of having personal face-to-face conversations. And that's where I think still a sales organization going to need people. You, you definitely have to change, but I don't think the number is going to be that high. Thank you very much. And guess what? I have a question from our series sponsor here, Kirsten Boileau on Twitter. I'm going to go around the table. Nick Robinson, before I ask Kirsten's question, I'm going to read a couple notes from you, but I don't want to miss out on this. And then I'll let you start this discussion. You say social branding. The social selling journey all starts with what a person wants to be known for. If you don't figure that out first, it won't do any good to have a profile on social. Now let me introduce Kirsten's question for you first. Let's take a minute of piece go quickly around the table because we're just about at the predictions mario we're almost out of time i don't know if you realize we've almost been on an hour here so nick the question from kirsten is does a rep's brand have anything to do with their sales success going back to your note here on how you have to decide what do you want to be known for nick robinson answer the question please absolutely i mean if you look over the change of the last couple of years it's been happening probably for the last five to ten years People want to interact with subject matter experts, and they want to get the quickest, uh, they want to get their answers um, quick, and they want to get it uh, delivered efficiently, and the only people that are able to do that are subject matter experts. So they want the source of the truth. They don't want to be uh, taken out to golf and then also uh, pawned off on somebody else. They want the answer then and there, and so I believe... If you stand for something in social on a particular subject, whether that's social selling or that's IT integration or it's, um, um, it's marketing automation, if you're the expert, you're going to close more sales than the generalist, hands down, every time. Okay. Mario Martinez, thoughts on this question? Does a, reps, does a sales rep's brand have anything to do with their sales success? And going back to Nick's question about who, and my opening question, who are you? Mario Martinez, Jr., talk to me. I would say yes. 
um, again, this past weekend speaking here to uh, a PGI sales organization on this very topic, and I said, my statement was, if you don't think for one second that a particular buyer that you're working with has not looked you up on Google, Facebook, Twitter, mm-hmm. or LinkedIn, you're mm-hmm. flat out crazy. And I would say that to any person, any salesperson, that people want, want to know who they're doing business with. I mean, just think about you and how you buy the car. If you don't like the guy, if you don't feel trust with the guy that you're working with, guess what? You don't buy. And so that's the same exact thing in B2B or B2C sales environments. If your brand is out there and you've got nothing that you're talking about, well, then you're irrelevant. You're not relevant. And that's really one of the four R's that I, I, my friend Jill Rowley talks about, uh, I used before is you know, doing research, being relevant in the marketplace. If you're not relevant, then guess what? You're probably going to be passed up. So I definitely agree with the fact that you've got to have a social brand. The, 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 the key important part of that particular discussion point, though, is, is if you're out there just publishing content and it's only product-related, it's only about your company, most people are going to think of it as noise. So you've got to make sure that the brand that you're developing is multifaceted, that it cannot just be about your products, it cannot just be about your services. It's got to be about other things that people can relate to you as on a personal level. It could be uh, sales leadership. It could be sales. It could be you know, content, marketing, whatever the case might be. You, you pick a topic and, and, and develop yourself as, a, as an expert in that particular area. Thank you, Mara. You know what? We've got three three minutes until the end of the show. I think we're already into our predictions because we're talking about how to do your social brand better. So I'm going to turn it over to Jamie Shanks. Jamie, I'm going to give you 90 seconds of closing glory. I think we've had Mario's close and almost had Nick. So, Jamie, what do you think? Uh, Want to predict what's going to be different about developing a social brand in the next uh, five years or so? Yeah, I would love to uh, elaborate on what they said. I would say yes, but with a huge, huge but. And I Mm -hmm. think there's a misconception in the market on the time, energy, and horsepower it takes to build that brand. Anyone who is a sales professional that wants to learn about creating a brand, I want you to Google Grant Cardone. Now, you might laugh at some of his antics. I love him. But here's what you're going to realize. Obscurity is the deadly piece. Omnipresence is where you need to be. And I, I look at myself. Okay, three years ago, I had... People, I, nobody had a clue who Sales for Life was, who I was, but if they knew the amount of effort and horsepower it took, creating ideas and insights, getting them out in the market, talking at, at events or on broadcasts like this, the amount of, of horsepower it takes to create a brand is where most professionals fail. They think, I'm going to publish a LinkedIn and Twitter profile. That mm-hmm. means I have a brand. No, no, no. That is step one of a thousand steps you need to take to actually become, as Mario's point, really relevant in a marketplace. Thank you, Jamie. I've got to give 60 seconds. That's all I have to Nick Robinson to wrap up. Nick, predictions? Where do you want to go? Other than happy wedding on Saturday, but past the wedding, <laughs> what's going out with social selling? 45 seconds, go. Um, I think that social selling is going to be part of not only um, sales, but it's also going to be part of every marketer's job. Um, the skills will be a little bit different, but if you think about a, a marketer's role, um, they are they have their ear to the ground, so they're the, they're the voice of the market. They come with the insights on buyers and and trends. Um, so they're they're going to use social data to make decisions about going to market. Also, defining 
uh, buyer personas, and they're going to feed that to sales, and sales is going to feed that to marketing. So you think about this marketing concept. Um, skills that are required to do social selling correctly are going to be required on the sales side and the marketing side from a listening perspective, content, and uh, community engagement as well. I mean, if you do all of those, uh, all three of those activities over time, effectively, uh, marketers and sales will build their brands alike. Okay, thank you very much, Nick. We're out of time. Nick, wishing you great joy and a perfect day next Saturday and our best to your beautiful bride. Mario, thank you for sharing your story and best wishes to you on everything. Jamie Shanks, what a pleasure speaking with you. I have a prediction of my own. I have a feeling uh, the three of you are going to get an invitation from somebody named Kirsten to come back and do part two of this topic, but I don't know. Maybe the crystal ball is cloudy, but that's what it's telling me. So just be prepared, and it won't be a cold call either. Kirsten Boylow, thank you for for a great new series. We're so excited to be working with you here on Game Changers Radio. Justin and the Business Channel team, thank you. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Oh, you know what it is. Just do it. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Mario, Jamie, and Nick, they're all game changers. Go out and join them. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Social Selling with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.